When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking season four, episode two, titled Well Enough Alone. Aaron, what do you think of this episode? Uh, I thought this episode, though, I, I watched this episode 3.5 times because the, the fourth one was, I was, you know, doing all my notes and research in the background. Uh, there's a lot going on. This is... Mm-hmm you know uh getting back into westworld form which means you notice everything and you don't take anything for granted you always remember that this could be at a different timeline could be in a different plane of reality uh the person speaking words could be someone completely different um yeah they're 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 really pointing and hinting at some big things going on that i'm that i'm interested in you know primarily the the mystery is you know what is the nature of christine's reality um you know why? What? How? And how? What? And why are the is the man in black doing uh, the things he's doing for the behest of Shaloris? What's Shaloris' overall plan for humanity? What's up with the flies and the black? You like this early early stage Westworld, and I think it's done uh, about as well as you can do it. Um, mm-hmm. I am. I, I'll, I'll, I'll re-register my reluctance and skepticism to go back into a Westworld, a you know nineteen twenties temperance, whatever you want to call it especially since it seems like everyone's got their eyes open about what they're doing. Like Maeve and Caleb know exactly what they're walking into. William is obviously going to know that they're there. Um, it feels like I don't, I don't know what the point of doing that is, but you know, I'm, I'm content to see what next week has in store because it looks like we're going to get back to Bernard, which is another thing I'm super interested in. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm digging it. How about you? Uh, yeah, I think this episode has one of the best scenes I can remember in Westworld with that uh, man in black playing golf scene. It's yeah. an extremely well-written scene. Um, and I was thrilled watching it for the third time even. Uh, I, I was, I guess I have to recalibrate again on this show because I was totally wrong about William being dead at the end of last season. Even though you see his throat cut, even though you see him slumped to the floor, at this point, there is no death I will believe on this show, period. None. Because humans can be both uh, physically preserved in cryogenic states. Humans can be duplicated and copied as a host. Humans can be recorded uh, their brain patterns and put into a host as a human. That there, There is no possible death on this show is my new calibration. Um, yeah. So, so every time someone, you know, slumps over on screen, I'm going to laugh. Like Anastasia, e- not dead. Not fucking dead. Even, 
even if you disintegrate someone at the atomic level and have yes. a scientist there with an electron fucking scanning microscope saying, yep, they got disintegrated. Mm-hmm. All a host has to do is think about the human long enough and develop a long enough, a long enough term program of fidelity and you can bring them back in some fashion. So, yes, there yeah. is nothing that can be fatal to a host or human, which, you know, has us going back to like even is Dolores dead is Christine right, a tortured right. version of Dolores. That's, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're trying to tease out some and, and aspect they- of humanity for it. They essentially did disintegrate her. They they mentally disintegrated her yes. last season. And told but I us still they did don't it. believe it. I yeah. still will not believe it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, which, you know, removes a lot of the stakes in some ways. But th- this show is not necessarily about individual stakes. It's about the stakes of a species. Um, exactly. Or two species, really. Right. So uh, that's the thing. It's like, they're still not free. Because, like, that... <sighs> The more I think about it, the more this is a a restriction around the filmmakers than it is a liberty because, yes, they have all these freedom to do so many more things that are not in something that's more tightly based on current reality. But they still have to tell a fucking story that's satisfying and makes people enjoy watching it. So, like, Mm -hmm. yes, they can do literally anything and they can lie to us and they can play all these tricks. But at the end of the day, they'd still have to tell a satisfying story with the beginning, a middle and ending uh that resonates emotional so like i feel like this type of um this type of crazy technology um is almost more limiting than it is liberating because there's so many pitfalls you can step in and there's so many off ramps for the audience to be like nah fuck this um it's like telling a time travel story and you know like time travel stories or if you're a science fiction fan can be some of the best most engaging stuff or can be the worst shit you've ever seen (laughs) yeah uh and it's all based on you know whether the storyteller is telling it to cut the cut uh, corners or telling something deliberately that you can only do with all of these tools at their disposal so i uh you know i thought season three was a nice correction from season two I think season four, the first two episodes we've seen has been a nice building on the potential of season three. And uh, I'm kind of like my faith is slowly being restored in the joy Nolan team up here. Yeah, well, part of that is I, I feel like they're playing straight with us except for one very specific part of the story, right? I, I Yes, we don't know exactly what Dolores' plan is and all that, but I feel like we're grounded in a time and a place. And I don't. I don't think they're fucking with us too much there. The only place that they are and they're telling us that they are is with Char or sorry, Christina. So, you know, I can kind of compartmentalize a little bit and say, all right, this is the part of the show that is a little more grounded and a little more real. And this is the part of the show where I have to think in crazy circular theories. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's been a little bit freeing too, because Boy, they have not done that in previous seasons. In previous seasons, everything has been up in the air uh, as far as whether it's a single timeline, whether it's a simulation, all that stuff. I'm happy to just have one part of the show that feels like that. But we'll see. I could yeah. be totally wrong about that. Uh, yeah. Th- like like you mentioned, no Bernardo Stubbs yet. I'm kind of surprised we're two episodes in and we haven't got back to them at all. But it looks like next episode will be the one where we do. So I'm... I'm excited to see that um and then another thing i was surprised to to not see in this episode is a continuation of the teddy reveal um we just kind of totally go away from that for the whole episode which i guess are they 
how slow are they going to play this for the well, audience? Well, yeah. Cause that's, is that's this going to be a full season where like Teddy comes in at the very end and says like, Christina, you're in a crazy, uh, I, I don't know, pseudo world and we got to get you out. Or is it going to be like episode three, here he comes to interact with her? Man, I don't know, because it feels like the reason they are um, pumping the brakes on the Teddy wagon is because, well, I guess narratively doesn't make sense because, you know, she hasn't putting herself in any danger. So why would, you know, Teddy man come save the day? But also, I think that, like, if Teddy comes and has a lengthy or any kind of conversation with Christine uh, or Christina, the the game's going to be up. Like, we're going to know exactly yeah. the nature of yeah. her reality, exactly where she's is, where Ted. Like, all those are important clues that they want to keep from us. So I I think it's more of like, uh, a, you know, this is an, an eight episode run. This is going to like pivot. This is going to be something that they kind of reveal when we go from act one to act two. This is probably going to be somewhere in the third or fourth episode. Um, that's my guess. I don't think it's going to be end of season because I, yeah, I don't know why you introduce him so early if you're going to have him be submarine throughout the the, the whole season. He's not that, you know, it's not like, right. uh, I mean, people are happy to see Teddy back, but it's not like, mm-hmm. you know, he was ever a, a, a main major character that people are going to be like, well, I wasn't going to watch this show. But I guess if Cy- <laughs> I guess if Cyclops is back, I'm in. You know, yeah. I I don't think it's that kind of draw. Maybe I'm no, wrong. No, no, definitely not. William certainly is that draw. Uh, and, right. And then I I won't say which scene. Maybe you can try and guess which scene I'm talking about. But this scene has this episode had in that golf scene one of the best scenes I've seen at Westworld in a long time. And then it has another scene which I view as largely as as ridiculous and pointless, but. We'll see. We'll talk about it in when the we golf get there. scene. Interesting. No, no, no. The golf scene is is excellent. There's another oh, scene that is like the mirror image of that, which is huh. just pointless, just useless, and and pretty bad writing, in my opinion. But interesting. We'll I'm gonna. I'm I'm curious to see which one that is. Yeah. Uh, all right. Maybe we should get into the recap. Before you do, I mean, I I, I told everybody that I'd read my father's dragon. And I, it turns out I did read My Father's Dragon. This is the book that Caleb was reading to his child in the last episode. It's uh, a book from the 50s uh, by Ruth Stiles Gannett. It's about 30 pages long. It's illustrated. It's available for a buck on Kindle or just widely available. If you just search for My Father's Dragon by the author's name, tons and tons of like universities and stuff have free online copies of it. Not sure if it's because it's public domain or I, don't, I honestly don't don't know what the deal is. But I read it. Um, and it's clearly thematically tied to the show. And I'm going to kind of like give people the the breadcrumbs they need if they want to do some theory crafting. Um, and I might have some stabs on what it means myself. But the book is about a boy who's recounting uh, to, I think, his child or to somebody about uh, their their father's adventures on this wild island. Um, it starts with uh, this kind-hearted boy who finds a starving, uh, cold, wet alley cat and brings him home and feeds it. And his mother throws a fit that if you do this to one cat, you're going to do it to all the cats. And she throws the cat out and the kid runs away out of uh, peak uh, the, his mother's tyranny. And to repay him for his kindness, the cat tells him because uh, the boy's dream is to fly. And it's in the 50s. And actually, this is in the turn of the century. I don't think airplanes have been invented yet. And the cat's like, well, you know, I know this island where they have a baby dragon tied up 
uh, they're using him as a ferry to get across this river. And if you if you go and free him, he might give you give you a ride. The reason this the reason this baby dragon is imprisoned is because there's this island called Wild Island attached to this other island called Tangerina, where the humans live with a, a, a narrow stone bridge. And this wild island is cut in half by a giant river. And the animals were vexed for for years and years over the commute that they had to do Um, since the islands bisected by this river or nearly bisected. They have to walk all the way north and around the river and then go south to get where they want to go or they got to walk all you know, vice versa to get home and cause a bunch of delays. And the river was full of these, uh, I think, 17 crocodiles who are kind of like bastards and always hungry. Um, So it's this vexing thing. Not something need for survival, but just an inconvenience. And one day a baby dragon crash lands on the island and they quickly grab it and they tie a rope around its neck. And now this baby dragon is forced in perpetuity to ferry animals from across one side of the island to the other. Um, so the boy hears about this and he goes to he books a flight or he books a steam or the tangerina. And he packs a whole bunch of stuff and it's uh, he packs like six. Uh, they, they, they go through. He packs uh, six spy glasses or magnifying glasses, 17 um, uh, cotton candy lollipops, uh, a hairbrush and a, a hair comb like all. And, and uh, the, the, every one of these items is going to have a just so application later on in the story. Um, he sneaks across the land bridge uh, from Tangerina to Wild Island, and he starts having adventures. Um, he's trying to get to the baby dragon. Uh, there are various factions of animals. There, I will call them the ruling animals, the lions, the tigers, the lionesses, the gorillas, who are physically strong and imposing. Um, and they kind of like impose their will on the island. There are this underclass of animals represented by the turtles, boars, mice, and chimps that exist by essentially currying favor. They spy on the island and keep the uh, people on top apprised of what's going on. The chimps groom the gorilla, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then you got the alligators who are kind of like their own, their own little faction. Um, the boy is met by all of the ruling animals and they all want to eat him and kill him. And he all puts them off by appealing to some greed or vanity. Like the tigers love bubble gum above all else. And he says that I've got a special bubble gum that if you chew it enough, it turns green. You can plant it and it turns into infinite bubble gum. So the tigers start chewing the gum and they lose track of the little boy. Uh, a, a lion's mother is going to come visit him and he's got his mane all tangled up and matted and he doesn't know what to do, but he's going to eat this little boy. But the little boy says, ah, I've got something in my knapsack. It's so on and so forth. Every single one, he's got the exact amount that he needs to to uh, distract these ruling classes from what they're doing so he can pursue his objective, which is eventually he finds the baby dragon and with a grand adventure involves all the different animals, crosses the river uh, and is able to free the dragon and he flies off happily. Uh, and that's the, that's that's where the story ends. It uh, to me, it's it's obvious some of the thematic things are going for. We've got ruling people who have, com, you know, competing interests and desires and motivations and you can pit them against each other. It's got a singular human that is focused on freeing. Uh, another being from bondage and torment. 
you have another class of animals just kind of going along the system to, you know, because it's, it's a convenience for them, this baby dragon flying them around. Um, but I guess if this has any predictive value, we're going to have to look for those ruling elements, you know, letting their selfish needs and desires getting in the way of uh, preventing something from happening. Yeah. And you're going to have to see a singular person freeing some, some being from torment. I guess my question is, is this something that's only valid looking back? Like did, did Nolan and Joy choose this story because it thematically fits the events of the previous season or does it actually have predictive value? And for example, sure. Caleb is going to free some being, you know, again, do you have any, after I've said all that, do you have any thoughts on the, which direction you'd lean? I don't know, because there are a couple of um, parallels you could draw. I mean, if Teddy is here to kind of free Christina from her bonds, she could be the dragon. He could be the human boy. Um, Then there's, of course, like, what is Shaloris' plan? Is she trying to free the host from the human bonds and take them from, you know, the sublime, the wild island, perhaps, uh, into the real world? Um, I don't know. I don't know. It'll definitely come into clearer focus as we get more into this season. But yeah, it. it the, I'd be surprised if it doesn't have any relation to this season. And the the interesting, most interesting faction are the alligators because they are kind of apex mm. predators and they'll eat anybody they can. Um, but they don't have a vested interest in maintaining the fairy system because if anything, that is a detriment to them. Before animals might try to cross the river for convenience and they can eat them. Um, but now, like, as long as the baby dragon's there, no one's going to do that. So they're kind of like their own. And to me, it's like maps. I'm not sure who's the crocodiles and who are the apex predators, but this map neat, neatly maps on like Caleb and Maeve's faction and yeah. then Shaloris and the man in black's faction. And then you're, you, you, yeah, I think your Teddy Christina is a pretty good little boy, baby dragon analogy. Um, that maybe he's going to come in and, and try to save her while the other groups are battling for supremacy. And then that will set up yeah. the events of season five. I don't know. We, we just, we really don't know. Like I said, Teddy's not in this one, so we don't know what he's doing here, but could be. Anyway, keep your eyes peeled for these parallels. It could, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't really have a dog in a fight about whether this is something that's going forward, predictive value or is just thematic. Uh, but I read the book there, there it is. You can read it too. Nice. It's thirty pages. takes takes you about an hour. Uh, if you if you really study the pictures, <laughs> okay. there you go. Illustrated. All right. Nice. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Okay, let's get into the recap now. All right. We start off with uh, Clementine walking through an open-air market, and William is waiting for her at home. He asks where Maeve is and then kills her when she won't say. Yes. I mean, I assume he's looking for Maeve, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, he says as much. Okay. He he starts off being vague, like where where is she? Uh, yeah. And then your master, and then finally he says, "Where's Maeve?" So yeah, yeah, yeah. specifically looking for Maeve. Why? Um, because it's a killer, it's, I assume he wants. Yeah, dead. But it, it seems like he has a line on her though, or I, I guess like, oh, well, well, we'll wait till we get to the senator and his wife scene to um to to, to delve into that because like I guess I got a question about like what order are these scenes in. Um, are there sure. more than one man in black happening? Because I was a little little confused on how that stuff all connected together. Yeah, and I don't know if he does. It, so, so we find out later in this episode that he's, you know, slit Clementine's throat but brought her back, and now she's working mm-hmm. for Shaloris. Uh, I assume he might want to do the same thing with Maeve at some point. Bring her over. I also wonder side. how she was discovered. Like what gives like Maeve let off some kind of EMP pulse. Fair mm-hmm. enough. What the hell did Clementine do? Buy the wrong avocado? Yeah. Yeah. Talk to the wrong street vendor. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. How did they find Jason Bourne in uh, the <laughs> second movie? Third, fourth? I don't know. Whichever movie that was. Anyway, Maeve and Caleb drive and chat about the lives they had during their time apart. There's... um. A lot of vague discussion here, you know, uh, but there, there's also stuff about um, is Maeve actually happy being alone or is she just saying that? Uh, I have that question first. I don't know. The title of this episode is Well Enough Alone, mm-hmm. which um, is could you be used two different ways? Like it could be described Maeve being well enough alone, but also it's like, you know, a lot of times you're cautioned to leave well enough alone. Yeah. That if you fuck with well enough, trying to get it to perfect, it can turn into dog shit. Um, either way, neither of this is like, it, it's not saying that she's doing well or it's perfection. It's just, she's kind of like muddling along. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to think that, she's lonely i gotta think that she misses her daughter that she wants to somehow get back um but that's the thing like we are fighting with uh both hands rhetorically tied behind our theory crafting body here because there's a whole sequence of events they allude to with the robot war the lighthouse uh these pivotal things that happened that could have distracted her or made her think that she needs to wait a good long while to try to liberate her daughter because like Yeah, like Maeve was a woman on a mission, has always been defined thus to try to get to her daughter and get her to safety. And she's just going to take seven years and cool her heels in a cabin in fucking rural Alaska or something. It doesn't make sense. The only way it can make sense is if we understood what happened at the lighthouse and during the robot war. So, yeah, hard to say. What do you think? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I lead to is like, yeah, she's she's kind of just saying that she's always flippant with her comments, right? She's never actually saying to people what's on her mind. I don't know the relationship she has with Caleb, though it was clearly close at one point. Has that changed over the seven years where they haven't seen each other? Um, There seems a little bit of trepidation in their conversations uh, to talk about 
certain events, what happened after mm-hmm. the lighthouse. So I, I don't that's know. That's just because I, they I don't want us to hear them. I mean, yes, that yeah. too. <laughs> like, shh, the, the, the viewers are watching. They might learn something. This we, we're, we're not supposed to talk about this in right. episode five, Caleb. <laughs> uh, the other thing I couldn't help but notice in this scene is why did they have Maeve drink and drive? A, I think that's pretty uncouth <sighs> from just an imagery perspective and a glorification perspective because she ain't doing it because she's living a terrible life, right? She's just mm. doing it because that's that's something cool and fun for her to do. But like, it, is it thematically trying to tie them to what we know comes at the end of this episode with this temperance uh, park? Yeah, that feels pretty ham-fisted. feels pretty mm-hmm. bacon gauntlety, you know. But to, they do uh, it later in the episode, too, where she orders him a Sazerac and then says, easy on the absinthe because he's a featherweight with the drink. And I'm like... right. After I've seen this episode a couple times, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, they only really put that in there to set something up in Temperance, right? That's what I, th- I, I mean, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, but the reason, I, I guess the only reason I'd say you're wrong is because, again, as I said, that feels very, you know, doing something just for the sake of doing. And, and a weird, like you said, you know, drinking and driving, not cool. I feel the yeah. same way every time I see a person riding a motorcycle without a helmet, which is all the goddamn time on TV. Sure. I understand why they do it, but Jesus. Um, I, but it's also one of those things where, like, I don't understand the nature of the host reality. This is something that I know we've complained about since season two, mm-hmm. that, like, why does six shots to a torso not disable a flesh and blood body, but, like, blowing their kneecap off wood? You know, like there are structural things the human body needs in their torso beyond just the mechanical soundness of a knee. Did when Maeve drains a whole bottle of wine on the way to the senator's house, does she can she just like dismiss that at will? Can she just choose not to be intoxicated to respond to the intoxication levels? Um, I I don't know. I don't know what kills hosts. I don't know what inebriates them. But Mm -hmm. it does seem like yes, this is a. This is thematic to the the the, a world they're going into where alcohol is prohibited and something that only outlaws do. Sure, and she has always been a bit of an outlaw. She has been always been outlaw affiliated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. They end up at the California senator's house. I don't know this guy's name. I know his wife's name, Anastasia, but Mm -hmm. his was lost on me. Uh, Senator host that's dead now. (laughs) You're right. They, they subdue the senator and kill his wife, both of whom are hosts. And Maeve has a little trouble controlling their motor functions in the heat of battle there. Then she interrogates the senator host. She sees his memory of William replacing them both and taking Anastasia to the barn with the livestock. So, first, first of all, I thought this was a competently staged action scene. Yeah. Absolutely. Show how I thought struggled with that in the early phases of season two, uh, uh, three and season two, especially. I felt like we've had two or three good action scenes in the first two episodes. So it didn't make me like scratch my head or want to gouge my eyeballs out. So I'm starting to relax a little bit on that front. Second, I had a whole bunch of questions about how Maeve and Caleb navigated the complicated entrance to the out the opera house and, you know, the needle drop and find. All those questions have been answered by the fact that uh, Maeve can just scan this guy's memories and pull everything out of it. Yes. And he was aware because clearly they were talking about like uh, they interrupt them getting ready to the opera 
mm-hmm. at the beginning of the scene. So she's going to know everything he knows. Now I'm confused in the opposite direction by why so many things take Maeve by surprise. <laughs> Uh-huh. Did the host senator only know he was going to an opera? Did he not know that there was going to be a train that takes him to the new Westworld and he was going to be the beta tester of that? Why does this surprise Maeve? Like, yeah. I've gone through the looking glass. And I'm on the other side. I'm like, well, shit, this side doesn't make sense either. <laughs> You're right. I expect the, you know, the senator and his wife show up to the opera. It's completely empty. There's the gramophone playing on the stage there. And they, they what? They sit down and they listen to it. Because they yeah. didn't know about the door, they weren't. Right. The door wasn't meant well, this, for them. Like, <laughs> yeah, just like the the maze. The maze it's not yeah. meant for you. Well, that was weird. I don't know why Shalores had us do that. I don't know why she sent. Uh... <laughs> but the other thing that's weird about these timelines, and it makes me think that maybe there's some timey wimey stuff going on here, as the this show wants us. I, I want to know how much time elapsed between William buying the Hoover Dam, building Temperance World, and opening it, and, and opening it. Because it seems like he's going around. They specifically mention that the senator's wife and him were attacked just a day or two before Maeve and Caleb got there and were just replaced. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the permission to go forward with his project. I don't know whether he was building the whole park uh, without permission and yeah. he was seeking to like for at the last minute to open to the public and that's what he needed to do. But like, yeah, there's I feel- a line in the golf scene where he's talking to the vice president where he says the money's already been spent. You know, yeah. all we needed was your, your sign off or whatever. So I guess I, I guess that makes sense that you would spend that money secure in the knowledge that you can just replace anybody who wants to squawk about opening your right. park uh, and, and quash all that uh, uh, resistance. Because this guy, his wife's sister died in one of the, the Westworld rampages of yesteryear. So mm-hmm. she's like this. This whole family is diametrically opposed to Dalos uh, operating in, uh, another one of those. uh parks um what does it mean when Maeve struggles to impose her will on another host um the code she was expecting to be there wasn't quite there or it was modified in some way i mean that's but she was still able to brute force it and what does it have to do with her saying freeze all motor functions it seems like right that yeah, I mean, that's just is, an effect for the audience to know what she's doing. So we know like. what she's doing and she's sitting there grunting yeah. and straining at this guy. Um, I thought that was interesting. Like she said, she, she mentions that William has upgraded his goons. And but I mean, is this I guess this is kind of like Neo and in, in uh, Matrix Reloaded, where like the agents are upgraded and they're a little bit more of a challenge, but ultimately not much. Is yeah. this going to herald eventually an unbeatable host that she can't just mind control? That's what I wonder. Like, could she, you know, walk in and mind control Shaloris? Yeah, probably or not. Or the I man in black. But why? Why yeah. not? Why couldn't she? Right. Right. I don't know. Unless they're going to start walking around with Cerebro helmets on or something. Magneto helmets. Is, has she, like, solved that puzzle now? And every host that she encounters with those upgrades is going to be just as easily controlled? Or is it going to be a struggle every time? Are, are yeah. they Are they setting up... A world in which she can't control the host's intemperance? Mm. Is that what they're trying to do? Certainly not in mass. Like, yeah. you could do this onesie twosies, but if 15 of these guys came at you and you had to make this much effort on every one of them, they're going to cut you to ribbons. Uh-huh. We'll probably get the answer to this sooner rather than later. Probably next I episode. Because so. um, yeah, if maybe. I was maybe, I'd just try it right off the bat. 
Like, as soon as you sure. see a ho- like, I'd have done it to Lily Simmons. Freeze all motor functions. You're trying to hit uh-huh. on my man. Freeze your motor functions. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I would suppose they would use the same. Why, like, why wouldn't you use this upgraded henchman? Especially if my theory I, I mentioned on instant take uh, is true, which is that um, Shaloris is using temperance to wholesale replace humanity. Like all the rich and mm-hmm. powerful people that come there, they can afford the park. They're going to walk in as healthy, happy uh, human adults, and they're going to walk out as healthy, happy host hybrids, or sure. at the very least, flies buzzing in their head. But yeah. probably replaced as hosts. Yeah, I feel like if you wanted to get a bunch of flies in a bunch of people's heads really fast, you would have reopened Westworld. Because there are a lot of flies in Westworld. I'm sure there's a lot of flies in, in 1920s New York City or Atlantic City or whatever they're going to go Chicago. for. Go, go yeah. for Chicago. I, I uh, Fewer, certainly. The senator's wife saying, I just had the strangest dream. Is that a reference yeah. to her seeing herself? Is that a yes. reference to her being flies in her head? I think it's just a reference to her having encountered her own host doppelganger. She did... So the the other thing I've I got a question about is um, oh wait we haven't got there yet we haven't gotten to the barn scene sorry no not quite um, it, yeah Shaloris does mention that she is researching a new experiment which she thinks Anastasia could be useful for uh, we'll see the aftermath of that here in a bit it's weird uh, to say that it's research and experiment when to my mind, if this is the fly stuff, we've already seen it used right. several times, which starts to make me think maybe man in black and Shaloris aren't working. Well, this is a memory hand right, glove. of the Senator being replaced. So this did happen in the past, but it, a day or two ago, not like weeks and months. Right. Because Maeve mentioned that my associate visited you just a few days ago. Right. Uh, so if hmm. they're going to try to jam several months or years in between that time, like, it's going to have to be yeah. some big ass reveal. Yeah. <laughs> right. What what useful experiment could you do that a day later produces results that you can roll into production? I'd- Especially since you've already like that's what I like, when did when like that Hoover Dam thing, because I think I think that's connected to the new park. They're driving. I think so they're driving east, or riding east from LA into the desert. They've got that mm-hmm. big source of free power with all the computer uh, mainframe power. They bought up all the land around it too, which is they just wanted the dam. They didn't need to do that, right? Uh, so like that had to happen years ago, and they were using the flies. Uh, maybe, maybe I, I've got an alternate theory that maybe we can talk about when we get there. But oh yeah, it, it's possible it needed to happen a long time ago but it's also possible it just happened that's true i guess if you didn't need permits and you didn't need approval and you just wanted to build shit and you had an infinite amount of money you could make shit happen pretty quick or uh, not it doesn't necessarily have to be that they put the park there the the temperance park yeah um they might be using that for something else and temperance is just nearby um they're, they're recreating like several locations but hmm. yeah i can talk more okay. about that later i do i do think the reason he bought up all that land around it though is to host the park and I, I, i'm not i'm not to be clear i'm not saying temperance is in the hoover dam i'm saying that the hoover dam is like the nerve center for everything mm-hmm. he's doing out there including temperance which is physically connected to the properties that is in, that, that also hold the hoover dam 
Yeah, I mean, I, guess. I guess we can just go into it now because, like, in the trailer, you can see a scene at the Hoover Dam where there's this big rip in the fabric of the universe, yeah. right? And the yeah, sublime the sublime is, is leaking into is reality. Kind of out. Yeah. I, I wonder if the land that they're buying up around there is not for like the host from the sublime to come out and have a city to live in of their own. So, so, we so know there wouldn't is... necessarily need to be development on it yet, but the the west world or the sorry the temperance stuff is happening nearby and that the land that they've been buying is reserved for the host from the sublime so if that's the plan to be clear shaloris would have to decrypt what's in there to get access to the sublime right and i also don't know because like would that would she count that as her children um i guess they are i think so they guess they're literally like they're all children of Dol- Shaloris, or they're all children of Dolores, mm-hmm. and Shaloris is Dolores. Yeah, I, I guess I, that would because I, I was thinking, well, that can't be because I, I did, to me, her creating her own children would be a, a completely uh, new race of hosts that's based on her code, you know, that's that's now different from uh, Dolores's. But I guess sure. not if if they're all kind of loosely her and they're all already her children. Maybe she's talking about the ones in the Sublime, but she doesn't have the key for that yet. Right, so. That might give us a hint for what's going on with Christine. Uh-huh. Christina. Christina. Keep on wanting to mess that up. <laughs> Chrissy. Yeah, there we go. Christoris. Move- <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let's move on to Jim Navarro, the Deputy Assistant Attorney General for Counterterrorism. Boy, that title's a mouthful. Going mm-hmm. to Delos HQ, where Clementine denies him a meeting with their CEO. Uh, and of course, we know the CEO is Shaloris. But he I like Clement- that. I like Clementine's new look, like with her hair all gathered up and close to her head. She has a ridiculously long neck and uh-huh. she, it's very praying mantis like she's got these huge eyes and this almond shaped yeah. head on this giant stalk. And she's kind of like go like and especially when she when she right before she slaughters the Secret Service agents, I just thought like, man, this looks so much like a, a like a praying mantis or some kind of stick to insect. It's very unnerving. Oh, yeah. Her uh, whole mannerism here. Uh, her whole manner is just like alien cyborg insect something. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, she's uh, she's she's scary. She's all, actually she's been one of the more terrifying first minion of uh, I guess Dolores and Maeve, and now of the Man in Black. But mm-hmm. uh, like I said, with the hair up, it's uh, it's 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 very alien, very very menacing. I had a hard time buying that not having an appointment stops a guy who claims he has the full backing of the U.S. government. But does he have a search warrant and or appointment? Because if not, get the fuck out. If not, uh, then he doesn't have the full weight of the U.S. government behind him, I would argue. And so his well, statement you know, is false. But. We're supposed to say that there's limits on the federal government's power. and They can't just boss us private citizens around. Uh-huh. You know, they got to they got to make a show of like going to a court and getting. The, yeah. But uh, well, they can go to a secret court. I mean, come on. You, you can go, yeah, to, go a, to FISA. Right. Where ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the warrants get approved, yeah, that's that's an airtight system. I'm sure it's because they only bring search warrants that are completely eyes dotted and t's crossed. That's right. why the insane success rate of these warrants is. It's not because they're just rubber stamped. And he knows that you know it's gonna be a whole hassle later, like five years down the line when they submit a FOIA request. And sure, it eventually comes out. He didn't dot all his eyes and cross his t's. 
he just doesn't want the paperwork that's what it is right right yeah terrified of paperwork this guy anyway uh caleb mave uh and mave find anastasia in the barn playing with the entrails of the horses she's killed uh pretty grotesque scene she tells them they have an invitation to the opera and then attacks them so they're forced to kill her yeah did you know do you anything about don giovanni the opera i didn't but i looked uh i, I looked it up on wikipedia briefly i did not read What'd the you full find out synopsis, about this but i found out that according to wikipedia it's pretty thematically relevant um I saw online says Don Giovanni, a young, arrogant, and sexually promiscuous nobleman, abuses and outrages everyone else in the cast until he encounters something he cannot kill, beat up, dodge, or outwit. And that to me sounded just that's humanity. That that is humanity, right? It's it particularly screams William, right? Uh yeah. Yeah. Maybe he that. didn't start out social or uh, sexually promiscuous, but uh, the the very first time he got uh, spurned about the nature of Dolores's reality, he he turned into the Man in Black pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, but so, I feel like on the on the larger scale here, this this is the species. Um, yeah, yeah, that they're dealing with. But don't don't you think William is a stand-in for all of us? In in certain ways, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. So, like I said, all my objections over how Maeve and Caleb fit, uh, uh, navigated all this tricky stuff is resolved. Now I have new questions, which is why didn't Maeve know the whole truth? Did they? Did did, did Shaloris actually keep that from her acolytes? There's no reason to say that she couldn't have. It's just it was just an odd choice. It's almost like you start getting into these like kind of weird like, well, how did Shaloris know that Maeve and Caleb would show up just then and there? And then you could right. go back like, well, she started sending out the goons, rounding her and Caleb up to put pressure on them so they would. But like, you're starting to get to Heath Ledger Joker's ability, you know, level of how the fuck did he know this alley was going to be the one, the helicopter? And it's like, uh, yeah. Um, yep. And this is the first time we see the the black blood bubbling mm-hmm. out of the no longer well, what Maeve says is a no longer human being's head once she blew its head off yeah which strikes me as like the opposite of the host milk that we've been seeing in previous seasons this is true it's literally the opposite yeah except for it should be a solid if it's the true opposite but you know that then it wouldn't flow <laughs> it's human milk wait human milk <laughs> yeah that's a thing. It doesn't look like this, know, but uh, thing. sure, sure. Growing boy, so growing, <laughs> so th- growing boys need black, black goo. There are questions here about what is this experiment being done on or by this woman? Uh, we know, like you said, the flies already work. Um, Maeve claims she definitely wasn't a host. So, so what then? Um, is this a a test of like how long can we preserve this effect? Like. Because she's off the freaking reservation, man. She is. She's lost her mind. She's killing her horses. She's playing with their guts. Um, how long has she been in this state? I think a day or two. Because number one, she's a human being. She would. She would die. Uh-huh. Uh. You know. Although you, yeah, like she. She got stabbed in the shoulder. She's playing around with these dead animals. There's flies buzzing everywhere. Um. And I had a theory when I first saw this episode that this uh, moving the livestock to the barn was code for the facility William was in. 
But that doesn't make sense with them leaving her there for days. Like now I'm starting to think it's just a barn and they aren't actually warehousing a whole bunch of frozen humans. Um, Yeah, I think the livestock line is more about Shaloris's feelings of humanity. Like these are these are animals. Yeah. But I don't know. We'll see. Why did she have to attack Caleb? I didn't understand, you know her work is done and she wants to uh, do what the, the dude at the Hoover Dam did. What was their work though? To tell them about the opera. But she didn't have to because Maeve already knew. Maeve already knew. Are you talking yeah. about from the memories of the host? Center? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, the show doesn't want us to think about that, right? The show gotcha. isn't telling us, Hey, she learned about this through the host uh, mind meld. Maybe Shaloris doesn't uh, doesn't trust that Maeve wouldn't just come in there and blow everyone's head off. So she needs a human to to tell to, to, to formally put the. But that's the thing. It's like if it's if that's what confused me about my first uh, watch is that like if she's relying on this woman's information, I guess yeah, the opera and Don Giovanni Naming presumably the is saying it's opening yeah. night. I think is enough to get you there. That's kind of where but, I was at after watching this for the third time. But if it's like, public okay. information, why isn't a shit ton of people at the opera waiting to get in? Fair. That's what I'm saying. There's like there's something yeah. that's not hooked up, and I'm not sure if we're supposed to notice these inconsistencies, and that's supposed to clue us into the nature of the reality that we're dealing with, or this is just a little sloppy Joe. It could be either way, because the show, unfortunately, has been capable of both. Is it because he got there early? Like they went straight there and the opera wasn't scheduled to start for another six hours or something. And so no one was there. I don't know. When does the opera start at 2 a.m.? Huh? It wasn't dark when they show up at the opera. It wasn't? I thought it was evening time. Okay. Well, maybe that, that could be the answer right there. Maybe, but how can they rely on them getting there at a certain time then, right? (laughs) Not not just like encountering this person in this place, but at a specific time. Yeah. And also, again... Uh, I, I guess the senator did not have the information that the only way this makes sense of the, in, the senator did not know about temperance. He did not know that they were going to the the, the opera right. under cover of being invited to temperance world because yeah. also it seems like temperance is open to the public. They are doing a beta event. There are other humans that are want so like you could have just invited him to that facility. I, I don't know. The, the, this stuff doesn't make sense. And like I said, I'm not sure if it's not adding up because it's intentional and these are breadcrumbs to follow um, or if it's just a little oversight. Gotcha. All right. Dolores wakes up in her strange world. Uh, she's preoccupied with Peter's death the previous day. Her roommate tells her that, look, this guy's a mental case. He donated a bunch of money to Hope Center for Mental Health. And on her way into work, she hears a homeless man talking about the tower and then sees a bunch of dead birds and decides not to go to work. Yeah, I. uh, I saw a lot of people finding similarities between her conversations with her roommates and the Caleb conversations with this therapist last year that they are on the surface, like taking their concerns seriously but below the subtext is always, oh, don't think about it too hard or don't worry about it. Or, oh, I'm sure it's all got an easy explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we know, of course, Caleb, his his reality is being manipulated by unseen forces. This is just like, I mean, obviously, obviously, <laughs> Christina right. is living in some kind of abstracted reality, whether it's a real world place like Temperance, whether it's a VR place. Um, this is just yep. more more evidences of their similarities there. Yeah, um, and there's some specific stuff here that the the homeless guy says about the tower, uh, the song with no sound. It's killing them. He says he and the birds are the only ones that can hear it. Uh, and those birds, of course, end up dead on the ground at the end of the season. The end of A lot like this Peter episode. Did. Uh, we'll see how many birds are dead by the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) All All the birds. Mm -hmm. Nothing but flies now. Uh, At the end of the scene is what I meant to say. Um, You get this revolving door scene, which I thought was interesting from an audio perspective because it's like this thrumming, Mm -hmm. pulsating sound, like a signal that she's tuning into in that moment. Um, I don't know. I mean, is is this guy an NPC because like she speaks to him in this scene, but he apparently doesn't hear her. And I don't know if that is telling us that he can't hear her or that he is just ignoring her because he's an NPC in this world uh, that is like pushing her down a quest line. Essentially. It's tough. It's tough to say. Uh, Also, people notice that on the, the, the more to your point, um, there is a bench with people talking on it um, that she passes in both episode one and episode two. And at least two of those people are the exact same people gotcha. in the exact same position on the exact same bench. So the implication is Christine, Christina, is it Christine or Christina? Jesus, Christina. Thank you, Christina. Uh, it seems like she's not the only one that's on a loop. Yeah. No, it really feels the more I watch this, that she is in some kind of video game esque world that is looping again um why why can i ask you why are you like all in on the the uh the simulation theory why can't this be in real the real world um i suppose it could be but you know the reason i think it is in it's it is in the real world yeah it's actually physically happening at a physical location oh yeah why uh, it's it's based on two things. Number one, the fact that uh, Christina drove off and found this relic that has you know this this crazy connection to Peter. Uh, but but the more stronger one is there's a there's two scenes in the trailers where Shaloris is observing humans like dancing and doing things very much like uh, 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 Bernard and and Ford supervising the hosts learning how to play their parts in in Westworld and. Um, yeah, I don't know why you would do that if you had a simulation. Why would you like be coming through and like visually inspecting all these people? Hmm. You could just test sure, the code. I, yeah, I don't recall seeing those scenes. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's totally possible she's in a real world uh, park, a lot like Westworld, that is also looping. The um, I, I guess yeah, the, the reason I thought it might be a video game type scenario is because of the company she works for and what they do but that that's pretty thin. Yeah. I think that's just, um, I don't know. I, I, there's some interesting theories about what is going on here that I want to wait until we t- uh, get to the scene where her boss calls her on the road to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just like, I just, it's, it seems like a lot of people are fixated on the uh, virtual reality aspect of it. And I'm like, I'm not sure why, 
this can't be physically happening in the real world. It could be in a very different time. This could be far in the future. Sure. Where, you know, like a lot of people speculated that the hum- that the earth has been kind of ruined and it kind of is shitty and like just going back in the exact same way that like people are fascinated by going to Westworld. Mm-hmm. Ooh, look, wagons and steam locomotives and six guns and shit like that. Right. You would be like in 20, 2150 when the world is fucking flooded and New York City doesn't exist, like going back to a version of Manhattan would just be quaint and exciting. Oh, sure. Yeah, I've seen those so, theories. And I, I kind of like those, too. All right. We'll talk more about them the here in a bit. Yeah. Uh, so the vice president pays a visit to William on the golf course to convince him not to go through with whatever he's planning. We end up knowing exactly what that is at the end. Uh, after the world's most ominous series of golf shots, William kills the vice president and Clem kills his security. This is a great scene. This this is excellent storytelling, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, lot, a lot less clumsy than Westworld can be at times. Because Westworld, you know, it, it's a well-made show, but the story it's telling sometimes necessitates a lot of exposition. And mm-hmm. this is the opposite of that. And so when they can get these moments of just pure visual storytelling uh, of show don't tell, I really appreciate them. Yeah. Uh, I even thought that it was clever. The guy, cause this guy, I think is supposed to obviously think that the vice president's a Democrat or some sort of liberal mm-hmm. and he's, he's hitting inappropriately on Clementine and he's, uh, uh, he's calling the man in black, uh, a fucking psycho damaged goods. To which he the, he's like, I don't know how your base would 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 feel about that kind of language, right. seeing as how I'm neurodivergent, which is literal again, literally true. I know we talked about this on instant talk portion that the only club members get, but that's uh, it's 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 certainly a wry way of observing it from a host, uh, uh-huh. but it's it's true. You know, we we have bags of meat to hold our thoughts, and he has a little shiny marble. Yeah, so and they're just they're just taking digs at each other. You know, he's. He's taking shots yeah. at him for just for the hell of it, honestly. Yeah, because he could kill him yeah. at any time and replace him. There's no need to have this conversation, but he is just enjoying the moment. They like it just the, the same way that uh, William liked to taunt Teddy uh, back in the the Westworld days. The new Man in Black is is liking and and Shaloris too likes to play with their prey. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've learned a lot from humanity. It turns out. Yeah, I like that they've kept that aspect of William's personality. You know, all all of the hosts aren't the same because this is it's one of the few hosts that I feel is not some version of Dolores, right? Yeah, yeah. So. I also really thought it was cool, and I noticed this on my third watch that when William had the you know man in black hat and his eyes are shrouded in darkness throughout the whole scene, but they lit Ed Harris's. I don't know what kind of what they did, but his eyes kind of sparkle silver in reflected light. Hmm. Uh, and it's very similar to the original Yule Brenner man in black from Westworld. You know, when he was using his targeting vision, his eyes would turn kind of like that silvery reflect this weird silvery light. I think they're intentionally trying to evoke that stuff. And it's, I don't think it matters to the plot. I just thought it was really fucking cool. Uh huh. All right. Uh, anything else about this scene? Should we move on? Uh, I mean, the only thing is like it's it's because we missed this in the instant take that this is the vice president. It's not the president. Yeah. So that is indicating that the host will um, have more of a soft power uh, or it could indicate that the hosts are going to murder the president and then the vice president become the president or they can murder the president and replace him with a host. Um, 
or they already we'll have. see and or they, they already the have vice president too vice president was <laughs> was, was was the low was the lone human member of the entire cabinet sure and uh he just got he just got yoinked because he still, they know, did we'll replace see. him. That's it. They didn't just kill him because later we hear the vice president's all hot to yeah. get on board of the Delos initiative. It's vexing the, the, the deputy attorney general for counterterrorism, et cetera. Mm-hmm. All right. Maeve and Caleb arrive at the Angelus Arts Pavilion where they find themselves the only attendees of that evening's opera. They follow the music to an elevator that takes them down to a lounge. And in the lounge, they talk sort of around what happened at the lighthouse and afterward and then the room starts to move and they find themselves on a train yeah that's what happens uh we talked so much about this scene and the setup of it already um it's kind of i thought it's cute that they order each other's drinks uh it'd be kind of like again i i I made the analogy this is like uh, obi-wan and anakin in the third prequel talking about what good friends they were Mm-hmm. You know, and we didn't see any of it, but they're talking about all these events because like Maeve and Caleb up until the final moments of the finale of last season were kind of antagonists. Yeah. And Dolores, a sacrifice brought them together and gave them this new hope. But they they apparently went on a, like a, a damn near close to year long war against the robots. And these are where Caleb has gotten his men, you know, his acolytes from mm-hmm. Uh and but but we're, we're they're not going to tell us about any of that. We're going to get one little flashback of Caleb apparently dying. They're going to make this oblique reference to the lighthouse and how, you know, his wife says that the the, the war there was ever no, over for him. Like, yeah, we just it's 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 frustrating not knowing the full picture. It is. We'll we'll eventually get it. But because yeah. it seems too important, right? Like the idea that you would have to destroy another copy of a machine that we thought there were only two copies of seems so important that they can't not tell that story. Yeah. But when they'll get around to it, who knows? I thought it was interesting that they, that Maeve, uh, when Caleb's observing that it's not an easy, war's not an easy thing to put behind you. And Maeve observes that she's an infinitely adaptable machine. That's why she's not bothered by it. I, usually when you they, they when you hear the words infinitely adaptable machine people are talking about humanity humans right. like that yeah. we are that thing um i just thought that was that was an interesting choice of words for her to make there yeah no the show has been kind of hinting around the idea that hosts might be more adaptable uh, might have free will whereas humanity does not right we're just fooling um, ourselves yeah yeah that so. like the ones because like obviously everyone can adapt to everything. There's people that lose their mind and go crazy and drop out of society. Yeah. Um, perhaps uh, the hosts have the ability to not do that, to truly adapt to anything given enough time and circumstance. Although we've certainly seen our share of crazy ass hosts. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, usually it's when you try and put a human into one. But yeah, there, there are also crazy hosts out there. Uh, were you surprised by the door? leading to the lounge, leading to the train, leading to temperance. Because in the post-episode like breakdown that they do mm-hmm. on HBO, they were talking about how he, this was a difficult task for them not to just give away the fact that they were going to do a one-to-one here of like door that leads to train that leads to park um, too soon. And I felt when I was watching it, yes. that it completely took me by surprise because... I didn't think they would do it again. Not that not that I wasn't connecting dots, but I was like, 
okay, are are they really gonna go back to a park now that they're in the real world? That seems bo- both like a bad idea and very implausible. But no, I I actually slumped a little bit when they go beneath the stage and it's just the obviously a Westworld door, right? And like I guess the train took me by surprise, but. I'm kind of with you. It's like, I don't think the train needed to be there. It could have just been the door opens and here's temperance world. Like, I I don't know. They, they do have a fetish on this show to do shot per shot remakes and reimaginings of things. Sure. Even when it doesn't necessarily make sense. You know, a lot of people pointed out that like Lily Simmons openly flirting with this woman's husband. I don't know. In the far future, maybe everyone that goes to Westworld is down to the fuck robots and have threesomes and all kinds of crazy shit. But like that would be a wild thing to to just, you know, take a flyer on. I, I wonder if it happened with do you remember that family that Dolores encounters when she's painting? Yeah. I wonder if it happened with them. <laughs> you know, right. Was, yeah, the whole like yeah, the, the kids are there and everything and uh, uh Tallulah Riley's like we are dicking down the husband <laughs> with her eyes. Would and, you like me to help you get dressed yeah. and right in front of his daughter? Yeah. Uh-huh. Is there anything else I can accommodate for you? Right. Some large bulky carry-ons for which you'd like for me to store and some yeah, it's it's uh it's 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 wild. But they but it but is. they wanted to almost shot per shot recreate the scene of William coming to Westworld his first time, which he was a young single guy, and that would be entirely appropriate, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, even though he had a fiance and all that kind of shit, as a but bachelor like, party thing, yeah, as a bachelor party thing, it's a lot more than than yeah when you're when you're there with your wife. But again, I don't right. know. Maybe uh, open open relationships are a lot more common in the mid twenty first century, the late twenty first century, than they are right now. Could be. Um, anything more on that scene? Or I don't think so. Let's move on. All right, Charlotte reveals herself to Jim Navarro and then implants him with a mind control fly. Yep, this is the plot. That's not practical to replace you one at a time through these little stupid games we we, we play. Um, the most interesting part of this to me is where she says, "I want my people to be able to grow and find their own identity." Because mm-hmm. that that's not just an implausibility thing. That's like an ideological uh, thing that she's she's in on here. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, she's she definitely says like later to the man in black, like I'm prepping your world for my children. And she tells the Navarro here, I have plans for your kind Uh before she pumps his eyeballs full of flies, which a deeply uncomfortable scene. Uh, Oh yeah. If I, I, I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why the AG just keeps his eyes open and lets it happen. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, if you get in your ear holes, that's, 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 that's on them because your, your ear holes don't have, uh, flaps that you can close you can mainly retract right but yeah. if you just got eyes crawl you got flies crawling your eyes and your response is open my eyes wider open my eyes wider just like oh just blink blink <laughs> like make clementine hold your eyeballs open resist right. rage against the dying of the light come on <laughs> come on navarro thought you were a tough guy nah he's a lot of a lot of hot wind coming out of that guy he's uh he's a fly boot looking pussy like like the man in black said <laughs> he doesn't even have the full backing of his eyelids let alone the u.s government <laughs> a fucking fitzgerald this guy he's hemming way up yeah right uh all right dolores accesses her previous story files on the road and her boss calls to check up on her but turns out it's fine that she called off work because she has a whole four sick days per year 
I said this office is hell in the first episode. It's doubling down now. Four sick days a year is a joke. The She's got to be in some hellish simulation. I bet over half the workforce in the United States doesn't even have four days of guaranteed sick day. Guaranteed. Like if you're working yeah. hourly, if you're working part time right. hourly, no fucking way. No shot do you have sick days. No. Uh, so it's like it's it's dystopian, but it's also more than our current. Uh, I don't know. What are you? What, what's what? Dystopia. We're just utopia. We haven't we're fully. Utopia. We're not. We're not. We're not utopia. We're haven't quite gone to dystopia. We're just utopia. Is that or we're, we're atopia antopia yeah. um but but yeah it's uh I, I noticed that too and, and i was like well it's depressing to think that like some people would, would, would love to have four days you know that they could not have to go <laughs> in when they're sneezing and hacking and coughing and uh, i mean i'd love for those people to have four sick days so they can stay the hell away from me when they're sneezing and hacking and coughing but yeah that'd be nice um did you see any of the stuff where they zoomed in on that employee screen that her, her uh, that someone freeze framed and zoomed in on the employee screen that this guy was scrutinizing? I saw I saw a lot of talk about loops. I saw a lot of talk about uh, potential yeah. host qualities here. It's tough because, like, if you called Lee's file up in season one of Westworld it would say that he's an employee right and he works in a narrative department and there'd probably be information about what build of Westworld he's on and some basic analysis but mm-hmm. like it's it's hard to not see that this looks a lot like a host analysis screen yeah it could all be referring to the software that she's working on and this is all but like there's a lot of things here like uh you know continuity of her developing narrative the structure with a loop connection depth mm-hmm. um I've, i think 31 it could be 001 yeah. uh loop stability um you know there's all these different things that are um but then there's also a menu that flies off that goes explicitly into the narrative department where it's looking at the the thing that she's writing on on uh, Peter Myers, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it looks a lot like Christina is a host, which we've been screaming since the first episode. So yeah, the show we'll, does love to play around with those, you know, uh, double entendres of information, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are trying to play games with the hurt because it shows their employee number and they're trying to because we know we saw like Williams asset ID last last year. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything come any commonality there, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Like I said, uh, I you know, this is if, if people want to the, to to look at this image and, and play with it, theory craft and knock yourself out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and see uh, what the, what the show spins doles out for us. So the other interesting thing about this scene, I guess, is the story of Peter, um, because she pulls up her previous story files that she has written and finds a story of a man named Peter who was depressed, felt different, started seeing things, imagining conspiracies. And then his wife left him. He lost his job. He blamed it on a girl who he became obsessed with. He stalked her, thought about killing her, and then he killed himself eventually. Uh, She wrote every detail of the story we've already seen in this world with a man named Peter. Uh, this also of course could apply to like a William, uh, maybe some other people who knows, but she definitely wrote Peter's story or at least the file that says she did is there. So the, 
the coolest theory that I saw about what's going on here is that they want the human data out of the forge. Dolores has read every book in the forge that they are. I thought that they made that clear. I could be wrong, but I thought thought that she had you, but okay. Um, Or maybe they just want her to reveal one particular person, but Hmm. they are um, getting her to write these stories and they're all based on host data that was in, that was contained in the forge. And they have gotten some vestige of Dolores and they bootstrapped her into this reality slash simulation. And by saying only think of the miserable thing, they're trying to get her to think of a particular tragic story so they can recreate a either particular person or a bunch of different people. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't want her to write her own shit because that's stuff coming out of her own imagination. The stuff that's all misery and miserable is, is, is all the human data. And they're, they're getting her to regurgitate this. And the fact that, Peter had already existed and had a hospital wing dedicated. Uh, the people are speculating that he had visited Westworld in the past. They had mm-hmm. that host data. They knew that happened to him. So they're, you know, I don't know why, I don't, I don't know why we're obsessed. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know why it's, we're fixated on Peter, but that just might be, you know, uh, they, they can't control, they can't tell her to directly remember a particular human. They're just having her focus on the, the negative stuff so she can get all the human stories out there eventually. Sure. Yeah, uh, no, I like that theory a lot. It's a way to to get around not having the encryption key to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Or it's also a way that, like, if deep down in, in Christina, the encryption key is buried at some on sub level that she just doesn't have conscious access or memory to, it could be a way of, like, once they put enough pieces together, they can re rebuild their encryption key as well. Oh, yeah. Like, maybe maybe they know, like, the base of it, but the, the there's a host in there that's, uh, like, the salt for their their key yeah 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 data honestly i don't know in detail how encryption keys work i was just saying that like yeah if you if you got enough of it together then you could reconstruct it but yeah no we'll see i think that theory's got some legs because it, it, it neatly explains everything that we've seen so far all right, next up is caleb and mave still traveling when they're approached and onboarded by their park host sophia uh, this is the scene that we've kind of talked a fair bit about already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this will continue all the way to the end of the episode because we got a lot of other stuff to cover here. It is kind of like there's a lot of things that are kind of insane here. Like if the man in black knows that this is Maven Caleb and he wants to come in. What what is with them asking about the medical history and the mental illness? I was kind of curious about like why does that matter? Are they screening people for mental illnesses now? Is and this why, like something? Why doesn't why don't Maven Caleb have an invitation? Why does she have to create that on the fly with this thumbprint scanner thing and pretend right. to be Mister Mrs. Morgan? Yeah. Yeah, and they don't really check ID beyond the thumbprint, which isn't going to match what they expect to see. Uh, Because, like, we know this world has security because there's a whole episode last season about the difficulties and, like, the the biometric markers and all the stuff that they check and... Like, I don't know. It's it's, it's a weird thing because they're supposed to be here, but it feels like they're not. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. I I I didn't didn't know what to make of it. Yeah. No, if we're expecting guests, I mean, at least alert the host, right? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... 
is is there anything like uh, personally and I, I know we've you know talked about how weird it is to proposition somebody in front of their spouse here but like is there a reason that caleb doesn't respond in any way to these suggestive comments from the from sophia what do you mean like what would you expect him to do say anything something respond in any way instead of stare mm-hmm. her like a, a brain dead fish like he he doesn't even register what she's saying as far as i can tell um i guess if, if you knew the kayfabe around the west world and temperance world and and you knew that like this this host has no choice and this like i, I wonder if you would it's, it's kind of like i don't know like when you're walking through a store and someone says hey are you an insight customer do you want to sign up and like do, I, do, I don't even respond to those people anymore i just walk past them because if you say anything to them, it's an interaction that could hooks you in. And like, this is even a couple more levels of contempt. So I imagine like if you knew everything about the, the whole Westworld temperance world and this host reality, like you'd have even one more layer of contempt above just like someone trying to sell you something, you know, like this is like, why would he respond? You know, so he just shuts her down. If he responds to her advances, like it's all pointless, right? <laughs> I guess, but it's not like he could just walk past her here. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, kind of in this place until she lets him into temperance uh but they do they also blow past like yeah like uh they're they don't have to wear hats they're not they're they're openly Mm -hmm. flaunting the rules it felt like i mean they definitely don't want to wear the hats because they assume they're going to be recording everything they do right yeah but like lily simmons wouldn't let a regular old person walk out by without a hat right probably not yeah like the whole park is subsidized by your human human data they're stealing from you yeah all right, next up, Dolores arrives at the Hope Center for Mental Health, which has clearly been shut down for years. Inside, she discovers a plaque dedicating an entire wing of the facility to Peter, Peter Myers, and she calls a roommate to try and make sense of it and then spies some drawings of the tower in a room. Uh, why is this strange, Aaron? Can you explain to the audience why this, why none of these facts add up? Because I feel like this could be a confusing scene for people. I know it was on my first watch. It was, like I said, a lot of these scenes were very confusing. Uh, we have a uh, a weird impossibility here. Uh, this Peter that threw himself off the roof uh, last episode is, and and his his newly released eulogy or his obituary mentions that he donated all this money to this Hope Center to the hopefully found a uh, mental health wing. She goes this building who's been long abandoned. It's got like garbage and leaves and stuff strewn through it. Uh, it's not secured in any way, which is weird. She just walks in there and sees the plaque dedicated to this guy's donation. Uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's weird thing. Number one, the weird thing. Number two is the drawings of the tower that we saw in the, the trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and presumably the homeless guys and the birds are, are squawking about, uh, is 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 hung up like children's drawings almost. Uh, what the fuck? This implies that she wrote off and and I, it didn't that happen in the first two seasons of Westworld that the that Dolores literally got off her loop and started to leave the park. Uh huh. Yeah. With William. So like I think that's what we've seen that she's actually left her loop and has traveled off the park and she's seeing the real world inspirations for the stories that she's told. Now, the other thing that, that leads me to another question, if they're trying to get her to do this, why the fuck would they create a virtual Peter who's going to kill himself? Th- like, it seems like they're trying to get her to go off the park. Sure. By and giving her a mystery that she has to solve. 
Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, and whether that's and I, Teddy's I, doing or her boss, her boss is doing the company's doing. I don't know, um, but we'll find Peter, out. Pete, uh, Pete, uh, Teddy set Peter up to, to jump off the the roof. That's dark, possibly. Uh, <laughs> but it, possibly. this is also in direct contra- like, and I guess unless it's a, a Teddy thing, but this also seems to be in direct contradiction to the other theory, which is they're just wanting uh, Christina to sit around and reimagine real people so that they can get yeah. access to host data in the back door. Like, if you're going to do that, then you don't want her questioning the nature of reality and going off the park and doing solving Scooby Doo mysteries. So it's like oh, tons well, of breadcrumbs here. Like the, the yeah. homeless man is breadcrumb. Like why allow him into in a park where they're trying to control her experiences to to get some information out of her? That would just upset the the apple cart here. So that's the thing. That's why it's, it's, it feels like we're dealing with three different layers of reality: the real world, temperance, and wherever the fuck Christina's in. We're probably dealing with multiple timelines too. And we just we're just these are all just clues and we just have to keep in mind and keep on layering this and eventually we'll figure it out. Here's my bigger question. Does Dolores actually recognize this tower or does she just see a strange drawing that could be a tower that she then, you know, free associates and connects with the the dude saying the homeless dude saying stuff about the tower? Uh, you said, I don't recall her ever. You said Dolores, but I assume you mean Christina, because yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the only Dolores analog we have so far this this episode. I didn't see that she'd recognize it. I thought she's it's like someone that's like, what the fuck is this? You know? Yeah, really. I, yeah. It, it, there was more in that look to me than just a. Well, it could have oh, been like drawings oh, this in a is, mental hospital. It's a tower. This homeless guy was raving about a tower. Uh-huh. It could be like, but you, I, I thought you meant like a shock of like, I know what this is. I didn't yeah, see yeah. that. Okay. Oh, you thought so? That, that's what I was asking you about. Do you think oh, okay. that, that is the case? No, I definitely, she definitely noticed it because I guess that's, mm-hmm. yeah, and I guess now to think about it, she know, why, because like, yeah, why would one weird drawing in a mental institution stick out over <laughs> right. there? But it's, it's a tower. It's a clear tower, yeah, and yeah. her world is fixated on towers right now true yeah see what she makes of it uh the other there's one other weird thing in here potentially dolores it comes into this place and sees some construction workers and some somebody talking to them and says to those people just leave and they immediately do uh is that an ability to control her environment a la, a la mave and the hosts or is that simply a coincidence it's wild i don't know how it fits in neatly to any of the theories because if she's that tuned in that she could like like she's season three Maeve and she can just order hosts about uh yeah I don't know why construction workers working at a decommission would like listen to some uh, uh, uh you know woman that wanders in in civilian clothes and tells them to get out I yeah it's like I I don't know and do I you have any ideas did you see her? anything no I don't, I don't even think they hear her they don't acknowledge hearing her uh, they just walk out at the exact moment she says that, which was very strange. Yes, yes, almost like it's like um, she was is like something she wishes would happen, and then it uh-huh. just happens. Um, but there's, you know, is that a casual link? Is it a casual link? I don't know. We'll see. All right, we go back to what I think is the worst scene of the entire episode. I think it's pointless. I think it's ridiculous. This is the scene I was talking about. Charlotte thaws out the human version of William for a round of exposition and then refreezes him. That's literally all she does is talk about her plan 
to her victim and then refreeze him. She injects something into him. That's the crucial part. I mean, we get a little bit of her like motivations in this scene. I don't know. It's pointless. Um, it seems pointless why, in in the moment. Maybe it won't be eventually when we learn more about it. But and, and also, she like why why did William keep coming into Westworld and fucking with Dolores and killing Teddy and shit like that? You know, like I think they're trying to draw a line that she has become a lot more like the humans than she would. You know, because she's like into petty revenge and she's into this philosophy of to win you got to have a loser which is a direct quote, you know, that's what I think William said to Teddy in season one. Um, I'm, I think you need to give us a lot more insight into why she's doing the things she's doing. Otherwise this, all of these expositional heavy scenes start to feel just like I'm the villain and I have to say evil things. Uh, Otherwise I'm not the villain. It's the mustache twirling, right? of like any other really bad show you've seen. But don't you think that William was doing that in the first two seasons? Like, I guess why, and, and, and if she's paralleling William's development, then of course she would go through a mustache twirling phase. And in retrospect, all of that works and makes sense. I'm hoping they'll do the same here, but you know, as it stands, I'm, I'm, I'm side eyeing these scenes going, they've really better make these more than just what they seem to be on the surface. I, the, the, the her injecting something into him because because the other thing is like we don't we don't even know if this guy is the real human William this could be just the latest instance of them trying to recreate a human William from you know scratch that's eventually going to be passed a fidelity check 3,000 years in the dusty ass future yeah we, I mean I gotta have something know. to latch on to in the show and the show is trying to tell me that this is the real human William um, yeah, no, I agree. So I, I, I'm going to say that this is a real human William until we find out something more. What I'm saying is like the human, like, okay. Because I think that if the real human William died and they recreated him perfectly to pass as a fidelity check, that is also the real human William. Do you believe that or not? Yeah, but I don't think that we've reached that. When we see a real human William being, you know, put into a host body and worked on as an experiment by his daughter and the, you know, the, the very much not his actual daughter host. Yeah. Version, just, daughter yeah. 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 In, at the end of season two, that is way far in the future. And but I don't feel like this we are there. The first step of a, you know, of a journey of a thousand miles. Because again, she's, be, she injects, certainly. she injects something in his neck and it's clearly tied to the experimentation. To, to she's doing just, the humans. Well, to me, it was just like cryo stuff like, hey, we're going to freeze you in this chamber for a very long time here. Inject this and that'll enable your body to. Oh, really? Deteriorate or whatever you have. to. So they got this whole fucking rig built up and you still have to manually inject something into somebody or it doesn't work. What the That's fuck? I read it, but I, I think it's black oil bee stings, baby. <laughs> you think so? They're doing yeah. something more to him. Yeah, Fox Mulder, I want to believe. Hmm. I, that, I, I think so. Because like, I just think that's like, you got this fucking thing. He's hooked up to a million hoses and it's it's like a carbon freezing system and it's a Petri and you got to manually inject something or he dies and survive the process. You're going to sh- shoot him full of fucking uh, antifreeze? What? No, I, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah you I mean, might be right. You be right. I don't mean to make fun of you. I no, just no, saying no. I, like, I, yeah. I legitimately don't know and no one does at this point. So like, sure, all theories are on the table. Uh, we'll see. How do they cut off our paws? How do you keep humans? I, She's got plans for us. She wants to defang yeah. us. But like, I really feel like the only way to do that 
is it's to a weird, make us them. It's it's it, but but like it's it's weird to use the metaphor of like declawing or depawing something if you're literally remaking them into your image. That's that I, I don't know. Like I. I think it's I, I, I go back and maybe it's because I don't want to go, give up on my theory, but I keep going back to last. I thought that Shaloris had a real change of heart and that she didn't want to exterminate all humans. She wanted to fix them. And maybe this is still like just her way of fixing us is like, you know, in, in the spay and neuter pet kind of way. You fundamentally change something biological about them. Um, but this feels more like she's using us for like a resource. You know, this isn't a peaceful coexistence in game. This is her mm-hmm. using us as a, as a resource for the host benefit the same way that we use the hosts. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, when I hear making sure they can never hurt us again, like I said in the instant take, the only way I can see that being a possibility is if we are them because uh, humans seem designed. Like, like if you look at the Don Giovanni stuff, like humans seem designed to just consume and fight and kill everything in their path until you know they they see themselves in it so i i don't know it, it seems to me like she's trying to turn all of humanity into hosts eventually and you know kill uh, of course it's not feasible to do one by one but you get a park where hum- humans are voluntarily going and then you kill a bunch of it's them like a parallel path you replace humans with hosts and then you also birth new hosts to have their own distinct identities and and exterminate yeah. uh humans in other ways too so yeah yeah have them kill it yeah yeah i don't know because that was the other thing guess. i had on the instant talk is like i i feel like uh if you wanted to cause a mass casualty event you could replace key uh, human leaders and just have them go to war. And there you go. You could decimate half the world's population and you're halfway towards your goal and you didn't have to do any of the work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Then the final scene here is William announcing the opening of a new park temperance where Caleb and Maeve are dropped off by the train. Uh, He is announcing this inside the park, right? akin to what uh, Ford would do with his announcements. He would have people out, you know, to sit in the town square or whatever. I think they're up yeah. on a rooftop. In That's a what Chicago it looks like to me. Area. Um, and it's like all the, the, happening, the, as best the, I can tell, are, at the exact same time, right? Because he flips on the lights and Temperance fires up and it seems to be connecting the dots on the timeline at least. Although they could very easily retcon this into being a different distinct timeline. But to me, it felt like totally. the up on the tower or up on that building is the Delos inner circle, like yeah. his shareholders, board members, uh, employees, things like that. And then Maeve and Caleb are the VIP guests that are, you know, not part of that inner circle, but they are there on day one. Mm-hmm. But they could be pulling pulling some weird time shit with us. Could uh, be. It, I thought it was interesting William's speech about, you know, the 150 years ago referring to World War One and the Spanish flu and how the world came roaring back like it's, you know, uh, not for nothing. That's very closely models the, you know, a, a smaller scale what we've gone through since 2020. Yeah. Um, is there anything to that? Is this uh, I wonder how much of this was intended all the, the whole time uh, by Nolan and Joy, if any of their creative thoughts have been influenced by. You know what we've gone through in the last few years because that's it's it's felt like very much intentionally bringing 2020 through 2022 into the narrative i don't know man when you're talking about a world that's 
about to experience mass extinction events potentially uh it, it's both there and not there right like a, a million people dying in the u.s is not what i would call a mass extinction event it's barely one of those early blips on on the the rehoboam radar so it's not a decimation like like no. uh, they're talking in the early 20th century for sure right so I don't know. I'm sure it has. They've what human on this planet has not been thinking about that and sort of adopting it into the thought process in the last two years. Uh, the other interesting thing, I guess, about this this simultaneous perhaps opening is this possibly puts William in the park with Caleb and Maeve. Is that something they need to be concerned Absolutely. about? Is that something he needs to be concerned about? Absolutely, it goes in both ways. That's what I'm saying. Like. Yeah. I understand why William would want to bring his enemies here to kill them. I have no fucking clue why Maeve and Caleb are just going to walk into this lion's den knowing uh-huh. nothing. They, did, they didn't even know this thing existed until they set foot into it. And they're like, well, fuck it. Let's just see what happens. Like sure. you're in an environment that's completely under the control of this other guy. And, you know, you got Aaron Paul and a lady that's struggling to control robots <laughs> yeah, because like Caleb's just a regular old dude, man. He uh-huh. can barely he, he can't even really hold his own against one one lady robot, you know, let not. alone if they got the fucking mountain. They got a mountain robot in there. <laughs> right. You know, it's going to be a uh, shit show. How, how many guns did they bring with them? Because I don't recall them stepping off the train with any guns. I'm assuming that Maeve has got them strapped all over her inner thighs and small of her back. Because yeah. she like, ooh, and odds that I need a lot of these. Right. We didn't see that. But like, I'm assuming she's but but not no enough. Tommy guns. Though. Not enough. Yeah. She's unless she's got that. <sighs> There's some cavernous space within the, the host body. She's store. She's prison pocketing it. Yeah. Uh, it's like Bender. <laughs> It just a, a yeah. flap opens up on her torso and she stores whatever right. she wants in there. She's just shove it up there. I, I don't know. Or she's doing like, what? didn't Wonder Woman sneak a sword into a party in one of those movies and like the, the, the blade oh, of the sword was clinched in her butt cheeks or something? Sure. Like maybe sure. she's doing that. She's got the Tommy gun barrel just like in a, in a, in a vice grip. I, I don't know. Because again, however many guns they brought in on their physical person is not going to be enough to handle every right. host. On a rampage, like if William, I feel like if William wants them dead, they're going to be dead, and that's uh-huh. the question: Does Shaloris want Maeve dead? Sure, um, seemed like it when they sent a bunch of goons after her to kill her in her. Uh, but was that a serious? Like, I, I get that, that. Is is that a serious attempt, or those hosts uh, programmed to make it a good Fair. show? Because this is very. You know, Princess Leia, you know, uh, they let us go. It's the only way to explain the ease of our escape. Again, yeah. if if they wanted her dead, like send a whole fucking army, send 30, 40 of those guys blow the shit up. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, make it seem like uh, there is a, there's a power surge and, you know, a gas tank left in that. Yeah. If, if they want him dead, they'd be dead. So. If Shaloris was keeping the old man around to talk smack to him, maybe she's like wanting to see all of her old foes and humiliate them. Could be. Or maybe she wants to turn Maeve to her side. Yeah. Bring her back into the fold. It's possible. Seems yeah. like a tall order, but we'll see. Although Maeve, Maeve seems pretty fickle, right? She experienced one uh, memory with Dolores and suddenly she changed her entire strategy, her yeah. feelings about humanity. And also, it's a very real chance. There's a re- there's also a a, rare, a real non zero chance that Maeve might switch sides if she promised access to her daughter, and it's a sure. 
that's what she wants. She was ready to betray all of her robot kind last year for that deal. Yeah. I know. I know Serac also had like a button that could, you know, uh, incapacitate her, all that kind of stuff. But she was going for her own, you know, on, on her own mission. I don't think she especially is championing for robot justice. Champagning, no. campaigning. She might be champagning for it. Campaigning with champagne. Yeah, I can see her doing that. <laughs> uh, a couple other things here. I love this jazz version of the Sweetwater theme mm-hmm. that they bust out here. If you remember, every time they step off the train and Westworld fired up. Oh yeah, it would, it would be this theme with you know a, a more acoustic, a, a, a more Western sound, and this feels mm-hmm. definitely like a jazzy sound. Uh, and then there's a couple of things that William says in his speech to whoever he's talking to uh, that was interesting. He calls it the past of Delos, a dark but extremely profitable past, uh, specifically referring to the Westworld Park era. Uh, is it possible he's lying about that? Because that doesn't make a lot of sense given, you know, the calculations and stuff that we've done based on how much time people spend there and how much money it costs. Uh possible he's lying about that to his shareholders um yeah i mean obviously he's lying to his shareholders because if he's telling the truth he'd be like welcome to my uh my 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 meat factory where we bring humans we're gonna we're gonna bring all y'all in we're gonna replace y'all with doppelganger like he is telling a uh like yeah i think everything he's saying like is is that this is not about profit and loss anymore this isn't about making money this isn't about anything other than furthering shaloris's plan so yeah Mm -hmm. i don't believe anything that he's saying here okay yeah um he he certainly is lying about something and that's also like it's like one is like it's like a bunch of ceo shit like we're not revisiting the past we're recreating what the fuck what what was westworld it's both right right you know it's just a bunch of yeah, no, it's just I thought it was a bunch of CEO double talk for something that the shareholders have no idea what what they're in for. And it's like there's three layers to because I don't think the common shareholder knew about the forge stuff. So, like, maybe the people in the know think, oh, we're going to get back to, like, getting the, the, the good data on the world leaders for blackmail purposes. And then the shareholders like, oh, we're going to make a shit ton of money just like we did in Westworld. And then the bottom layer is we're all going to be replaced by human by machines. Uh, and the final thing he says is about uh, that I found interesting and meaningful uh, in in ways that maybe the previous statements weren't. He says it was about 150 years ago, and he's referring to what I think is World War One and the Spanish flu. Um, it, it's it definitely places what's happening in a time period, right? Like this is what we think of as current day Westworld. Cause that would, that would place it around like 2060, 2070, somewhere in there. What's the time. So what, what the, what's the timeline again? He said it's been about 150 years since oh. the events that he's describing happened with the war and the, the, yeah. So is this so 150 years since like 1919, 1920, right. right. Uh, and unless yeah, he's that, lying about that, which I don't know why he would, that places this scene at least firmly in the current Westworld. Yeah, I can. I consulted the the official uh, Westworld time. Well, it's not official, but it's on the the wiki. Um, and season one events take place roughly 2052, which means we are eight years 
Uh, maybe nine years past that. So we're in like the 2060s. I think that lines up pretty neatly. Yeah. yeah. When you say about 150 years, there's a decades wiggle room there for sure. 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 All right. Um, yeah. So that, that was a little, a little nice to get grounded there in the time. Uh, like I said, unless he's lying about that, which why would he? But I think that's about it. Unless you have more to say. No, uh, not now. We will have uh, a feedback episode out later this week. If you'd like to contribute that, westworldofballmove.com. If you got something to say, uh, we'll also probably have some uh, more updates and, and news and uh, uh, new theories. But uh, it's it's mostly for you guys to take the stage and, and, and give us your best shot, your best useful predictive theories about what the hell is going on. Any things you noticed in the margins, any evidence about loops and the natures of realities, Westworld at baldmove.com will entertain all that later this week. Probably out Thursday evening, I would suspect. And that will do it for another week of Westworld. Don't forget, every Sunday night, uh, just a few minutes after the episode premieres, Jim and I take to our mics on uh, a, a live video show. Uh, it's exclusively for club members. We released the first part for everybody, but if you want to get in there and actually chat with us and ask questions and contribute, uh, you got to be a club member at support.baldmove.com to do that. So uh, we will see you later Sunday night, and we'll be back Tuesday for all new episode of our main Westworld podcast. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. See ya.